God, Jesus, we bless you this morning. With everything inside of us, God, that we give you our highest praise. We lay aside everything that comes between us in our minds. Father, that you would be the one that we fix our eyes on, God. That you would be right in front of us, Father. Mm. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for meeting with us, God. Thank you that there's a mutual exchange, God. That as we lift our praise to you and we sacrifice our own pride in our flesh. Father, that you come and meet us there. And there's this exchange. You give us beauty for ashes, God. Joy for mourning. Praise for heaviness. So we just release that heaviness right now. We just release that heaviness right now and we say, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy. Thank you, Father. I just had this picture Todd talked last week about how sometimes you can have something so close in front of you that you need to step back and take an aerial view of uh, um, to see the bigger picture, to see God's picture. But I feel like it's the opposite right now with Jesus needs to be that close that we don't see anything else around. We don't see the, the big picture of the distractions and the, the circumstances that we don't like and the struggles that we're going through and the family that's bugging us or whatever, um, that, that Jesus needs to be that close, that right here, this is what you see. He's the lens that you see through. Amen. He's good. Come on. Thank you, team. Great job. Sweet worship. Hallelujah. You know, as we were in, uh, in worship and Luis started just singing, fill this place with love, something like that. <laughs> Is that what it was, Luis? Thank you. Because sometimes I just get lost. I'll hear the first part of it and then I'm just out and... Uh, not exactly sure what said, but as he was saying that and just singing it, the Lord brought several passages of Scripture to my heart, and I think it's, it's pertinent for us this morning. And one, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God? Don't you know that this body, this is the temple, look at me, this is the temple of the living God, not this. Are you with me? In the old covenant, they had to come to a tabernacle to meet with God. They had to come to a physical building. But now he said that this is the temple of the living God. It's this body right here. This is the temple of the living God. This is how we, where we commune with him. I think that's why we bow our heads when we pray, because we talk to him. <laughs> Some of you just went right over your head. We don't have to rent the heavens. Jesus rent the heavens. Are you with me? 
When Jesus hung on the cross, his veil, the veil of his flesh was rent so that we could have an open heaven, so that we could, we could uh, fellowship with him, commune with him. And because of that, uh, we have that communion where this body is the temple of the living God. And as we were singing that, fill this place with love, the Lord just really spoke to my heart about this place. And then Mel got up and she talked about heaviness. And I really, I really felt that, that there are times the heaviness that can, can be tangible. Just like we can feel the presence of the Lord, there's a heaviness that can be tangible. There are things, there are distractions that can come and get in the way of, of seeing Him. So what she said was so pertinent to what the Lord had put in my heart because in 1 John chapter 4, He said this. This is where He took me. 1 John 4, verse 16. 1 John 4, 16 says this. Let me back up. Uh, let's just go to verse 12, because it seemed good to the Lord and to me. <laughs> Thank you, Cam. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Think about that. Say lie that for just a moment. In this world that we live in, no one has seen God with their physical eyes. Right? I'm not saying that you can't have a vision or anything like that, but I'm saying Jesus is not physically walking among us. Will he manifest in visions and dreams? Absolutely. But the, the, the tangible Jesus, his flesh and bone, as he said he was when he resurrected, touch me and see that I'm flesh and bone. He didn't say flesh and blood because he gave his life. The life is in the blood. He gave his blood for us. Amen. Amen. You're getting it. And he said, Flesh. So we haven't seen him, but he said here in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Verse 13, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Hallelujah. He's given us of his spirit. His spirit lives in us. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians in verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17. <clears throat> The love, this love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Now, I want to go back through this um, and look at some things that, that, he's hit, that he's saying here, that John's saying here. We, we looked at verse 12. It said, no man's seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. John said in his gospel that by this will all men know you're my disciples. If what? You have love one for another. He said, it's this love that the world is looking for. And I want you to understand that hasn't changed. The world, what they're looking for is still to see the manifestation of the love of God. 
Amen. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus, I think it's chapter 1, the first part of Mark, let me say that. Jesus goes apart to pray, and, and I've shared this many times about how it really wrecked me. Jesus goes apart to pray, and everybody starts looking for him. And Peter, when he finds Jesus, who's alone with the Lord, he says, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Todd, that's still true today. We talked about that this Thursday in pastor's prayer. I said, I believe the world is still looking for the resurrected Jesus who's alive on the inside of us. Don't we know that this body is the temple of the living God? And he said, we were singing earlier, fill this place with your love. Fill this place with your love. That's so important that we allow this place right here to be filled with his love because it's from this place that that world, the world out there, even the people in here will see that God is alive. And he went on to say, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We don't have to base this on mere human knowledge. He's given us of his spirit. And here's what I know. I'm not, I'm not basing my relationship with Jesus on an emotion or an experience, but I thank God he gives both. It's just like I don't worship signs from God, but I thank God for them. Just like when we're going somewhere, if you're going to the beach and you're going a route you've never been, you don't worship a sign that says, take this highway to, to Myrtle Beach. You don't go, oh, you don't stop and hug the sign. You know what? You know, you're thankful for the sign because it's pointing you to where you want to go. And the same is true in our life. God gives us signs and things like that. He'll give us ex- encounters with him, but we don't live for the encounter. We live for him. And the encounter comes along with serving a living God. And he said this uh, in verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Again, Paul said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God? And it's all of this, again, as I was, as I was singing, fill this place with your love. We can reduce that down to an emotion or an experience. But I believe what God was prophetically saying through Luis is, Jesus, fill us afresh with you. And then Mel got up and said, we need to be that place where we're so close to him that all we see is him. Because there are so many distractions that are going on all around. And when we make a choice to set our gaze on him and to see him in the midst of all of it, but to set our eyes solely on him, then the weight of those experiences fall. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The next verse, I think, is so important. We will quote verse 18 a lot, verse 17 and 18 a lot, but I think it's all hinged, contingent upon verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Here's what's so important about that. And here's where I see a disconnect sometimes, even in my own life. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about soil. 
uh, and last week again, but we talked about how all of us can find ourselves in the parable of the soils, and it's not, I think it is a progression that we grow in our relationship with the Lord, but I think also we can find ourselves as different soil at different parts in our life. Does that make sense? You can go from good soil to being rocky ground in a minute. (laughs) And you can go the other way just as well. But he said something here that's so important that the Lord highlighted to me in verse 16. We have known and believed. It's not just enough to know. Do you hear me? It's not just enough to know. And that's what I find many times. Because here's where I think the difference is. You can know something and it have no impact in your life. But when you believe it, you make changes according to what you believe. Okay? Here's a, here's a simple illustration. You can know that fire burns. Right? How, how many of you... <laughs> when I was a kid, I was given information that the eye of the stove is hot and that I shouldn't touch it. I was given that information. So I knew, I can honestly say, I knew that the eye of the stove was hot and if I touched it, I could get burned. But what I believed was that it was only hot if it was red. How many of you know that affected me? negatively and adversely, very negatively, because I put my hand on the eye of the stove, which was no longer red, but still hot, and it nearly melted my fingers together. (laughs) When I pulled it up, you could see every little ring. This is back when I was a kid. We didn't have these pretty glass top stoves. They had metal eyes on them. They were like little rings. Anybody, you ever seen those? Younger generations going, what? Is that like a phone book? (laughs) Yeah, some people still have them, but most part, they're the glass top. Yeah, they, most of those are back where the phone books are. <laughs> yeah. So I had those little rings on my finger. And see, he said here, it, it, there's, there has to be a difference in knowing and believing. Not a difference, but a connection. And what I've seen in my own life and what I see in the life of many not judgmentally, but just locating on how I can pray for and help, is there's a lot of stuff, especially in the Western world, in our culture, we know a lot of stuff. (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out how many parables I want to give and how practical I want to make it. Jesus taught in parables, right? uh, Knowing and believing you know, I, I see this, and I've been guilty of it. We know it's not just bad, but it's against the law to text and drive. Right? We know that. But the reality, of, it's dangerous. That's exactly right. But to believe that it not only is bad, but I, it could cost me my life or somebody else their life, many times that's not a reality to us. We feel like we're above it. And so we do it until we see the dramatic or the, the terrible consequence of someone who did it and it didn't work out for them. So it's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to believe it. And he said, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. 
And see, I think in that there's, a, there's something that's missing. There's a disconnect. And we can call it, is it 11 inches from your head to your heart or 16? How many is it? 18? I'm shorter, so I said 11. <laughs> He's good. He's just good. 18 inches from your head to your heart. I think there's a difference in knowing and believing. There's so much that we know. We become so intellectual. That's our society. Our, our society is to gain knowledge and to brag about the knowledge we have. But what I see about that, even if, uh, Peter and John, it said they, they noticed they were what? Ignorant and unlearned men, but that they had been with Jesus. They said they don't have all the degrees and all the accolades that man says you have to have, but there's something different about them. You know what it was? When Peter and John went out, when Jesus was resurrected and he breathed on them and said, receive my Holy Spirit, and he said, you're going to have power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. They didn't just know it, they believed it. And because they believed it, they walked in it. And because they believed it, they walked out, and it says they did extraordinary miracles. And they could look at this man and they could say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we'll give to you. Because they knew it and they believed it. And it's this love, this love that we have to not just know. And he said, how can I know that I have the love of God in me? He said this in uh, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. I was reading this week in, uh, I think it's Mark... Let me just look real quick. Yeah, Mark chapter 9. And uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they tell him in Mark 9, 38, it says, Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who was who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. You know what? I believe the church would do well to understand that. I believe the church would do well not just to know that, but to really believe that in their heart. Because I believe if we make that connection, that there are others who are not of our tribe, but that doesn't mean they're against us. And it doesn't mean that they do not have relationship with Jesus nor love him. Just because they're not doing what we're doing or the way we're doing it doesn't mean they don't know him. He said in 1 John, if they confess me as Savior, as, as, the, as Lord, I'm their Savior and I live in them. And this thing is so big in me, in this day that we live in, is it all about love? I believe it is, because God so loved the world that he gave. And I think that same spirit is birthed on the inside of us, and when we allow it to, that is what gets rid of fear. It's not focusing on the fears and trying to conquer them one by one by one. You know what conquers fear? Love. And as we walk in that love and allow that love to have preeminence in our lives, just as Mel said, as we look and we get so close to him that what we see is him. Because I'm telling you, I don't care what fear you get over today, there'll be another one staring you in the face tomorrow. 
Because we live in a fallen world and society is constantly trying to peddle fear. The media that we have is not redeemed. It is not redeemed. And what they are after is not your faith, you to be faithful, it's to be fearful. Because fearful is what turns their machine. And if you are constantly focused on that, that's what you look at is what you become. What you behold is what you become. We can see that throughout the scriptures. What you behold is what you become. And as we behold him, the Bible says we are transformed from glory to glory to glory. So what is God's position in our walk with him? Is to go from glory to glory or from glory to glory? That wasn't a trick question. From glory to glory, to go to greater understanding of who he is. Because why? As we do, what happens? His love in us, it casts out fear. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. It doesn't say that God gives love, God shows love. God is love, and he who abides in who? In love, abides in God, and God in him. He said, he who abides in love, abides in God. You see the connection? God gave this connection, not, not Todd, God. He said, if you abide in love, you abide in me. So if we feel, you, how, how many of you ever got to that place? You, I just don't feel God. You know what you need to do? Stir yourself up in love. Stir yourself up in love. When you're in that place where you say, I just don't feel God, I don't feel love, I tell you this, go love on somebody who doesn't deserve it and watch what happens on the inside of you. That's so good. Because what we do is we get outside of us and we take our attention off of us and put it on God who's love and allow him to be God in us and through us. And then his life starts flowing through us and that will affect you. He can't come through you without it changing you. Amen. But as we set our eyes on him, we're changed from glory to glory. He says, we have known and believed that God is love, uh, the love that God has for us. Listen to that. I skipped right over that. Because here's where I think a lot of people don't make the connection as, as well. And I'm saying that not judgmentally because of what I've walked through myself. He said, we have known and believed what? Say it with me. The love that God has for us, not the love that we have for God. Why is that important? Because you will not, this side of heaven, love perfectly. but he always will. Let me say that again. You will not, this side of heaven, love perfectly. Why? Because we have a human uh, body that deals with things and it can affect our soul, our mind, will, and emotions and how we respond to things. And so there are times that we don't always... uh, Let me say it. Let me say it this way. There are times I don't always respond in love the way I should. Maybe you've arrived and you're better, and you've gotten that, good for you. Kudos. You come up, I'll pat your back and give you a hug at the end of service. But as for me, in this house, (laughs) I have to set my eyes on love, and I have to choose. There are times I have to choose to love. And you know what's so awesome? I'm getting better at choosing love 
over anger, over frustration. I'm getting better over fear, over worry. I'm getting better at choosing love, but it's a choice that I have to make. But here he said this, we have known and believed the, the love that God has for us. This is so important because if you're focused on how you love God, you will come up short. But if you're focused on how much he loves you, that's how you can enter into relationship and fellowship with him because you're focused on his love for you, receiving what he has for you because as you get full on that, that's what you give out. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us, made complete among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. You know what that is? That's an awesome prophetic word God's declaring over you. As he is, so are we in this world. Do you hear that? How does God see me? He sees me in him, and in him is in love, and in love is acceptance, and in acceptance in him, he said this, that I can have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. In this passage, in context, what he says is love lives in you, and as you allow love to live out of you, the world will see it, and that's what they're hungry for because just like I was in the world, so are you. What was Jesus moved by? He was moved by love and compassion. He would look on the multitudes and it said what? And Jesus being moved with compassion. Jesus being moved with compassion, not pity, but with compassion. Compassion means that I, there's something that stirs on the inside of me to make a difference. See, when you're compassionate, you'll be moved to make a difference. When you have pity, you can feel sorry for someone and do absolutely nothing for them. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. This is a verse that I return to <laughs> rather often in my studies, in my time with the Lord. Because when I allow myself to lose focus and allow fear in, I have to go back and understand what he says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves tor torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. So what does that say? That's saying this, that if there are areas in our life that we're walking in fear, it's an area that we don't understand the love of God that he has for us whether it be in his provision. I've taught last week about trust, and I'm going to mention it a little more in just a moment. But I talked about trust. I talked about the difference between rest and trust. And uh, rest allows God to work in our life. Trust releases God to work in our life. And as I was studying that, I went through the New Testament, I mean, through the Bible, and I was, what I was noticing is this, that trust is mentioned more in the Old Testament in relationship to God than in the New Testament. In the New Testament, he warns us about trusting in wrong things, but a word that's very, very close to trust that we use in the New Testament is not just trust, but hope. And hope is this, a confident expectation of good. When he said hope in God, he said have a confident expectation of good. So when our hope is in the Lord, 
Our trust is in the Lord. And what we're saying is God is able to do beyond what I can do in and of myself. And so what I'm going to do is set my attention, my expectation, my confident expectation of good on him. Why? Because he is good. And because his love has been placed in my heart and I can trust in his love. Because that's what it comes back to. It's where is our trust and where is our hope? Is it in what we see right now or is it in the God that we serve? that he's bigger. And he said here, there is no fear in love. That's pretty bold. And to me, that's a locator. Because in the areas of my life that I have fear, what he's saying is that's an area I don't understand his love. And I said this earlier in jest. I said, are we going from glory to glory or from glory to glory? He said, you're transitioned. As we behold him, we're transformed from glory to glory. So God has taken us somewhere. Do you understand that? Even when we walk through a difficult situation, he's taken us from glory to glory. He's taken us to a place where he can reveal more of who he is in us and more of who he is through us. And the only way we can do that is if we trust him and that we understand the love that he has for us. Psalms 37 Verse 3 through 5 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate or feed securely on His faithfulness. Verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. One translation says that He will bring it to pass. He said, Trust in the Lord. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on or cultivate his faithfulness. You know what that is? That's an act of my will to believe the love that God shed abroad in my heart. It's an act of my will to look at who God is and what God is doing and say, God, I trust you to be doing what your word says that you'll do even when I'm not seeing it with my eyes. I'm gonna trust in the Lord and do good. And that's what, I think that's so, so important. When we really trust in the Lord, what's the fruit of that? Doing good. When we trust in the Lord, we can do good even when others aren't, even when it doesn't look like we want it to look. We can still do good because our trust is in Him, not in our current situation or circumstance. Because it's so easy when you're not in trust and you're in the midst of a situation to be in self-preservation mode. I, I really, I'm a firm believer in this, that the enemy will bring things like that into our life just to distract us because he can't defeat us. He has to have our agreement to defeat us. If he could defeat you and he could kill you, he would do it because he, lo- he hates you. Be it forever settled, the devil's not your friend. If he could, he would, but he can't. That's why the Bible says he's walking about as a lion seeking whom he may devour. That word may there means have someone who will partner with him to bring devastation in our lives. So I believe what he does through circumstance, and I believe what sometimes just happens just because we live in a fallen world, when distraction or when something happens that sets us back, our eyes go from Jesus to the circumstance or situation, and it's all because we're focused on us. That sounds backwards, but, you know, 
I can't remember who it was, if it was an elementary teacher or whatever, said, don't point your finger, because when you do, just remember there's three pointing back at you. You ever hear that? Okay, maybe not. But when we look at a problem and we point to a problem, we set our eyes on a problem, really we're set our eyes on us. Because when we get problem-focused, our attention comes to us, right? That's where I'm going with this. If we're problem-focused, really we're us-focused. We become self-centered and all we can see is us. So therefore, we don't see the love of God and we don't get out of the situation because we just stay in this vicious cycle of pointing at the problem and pointing back at us. And what he's saying is, I want you to trust me. Trust in the Lord and do good. So I believe that a fruit, a natural fruit of trusting in the Lord is I'm going to do good. You know, listen to this. We're, we're talking about seed, about uh, the, stewarding the seed of God. And here's one area I believe that we can. is trusting him with our finances. And, and that is this. I'm, I have a friend in ministry, and he told me, he said, I took my wife out the other night, and we spent about 50 or $60 on dinner. And he said, you know why I did it? I said, because you love your wife. He said, yes, because I love my wife, but to hit the devil and his lie in the mouth because things have been tight for us financially. He said, so you know what I did? I don't make a habit of it. He said, you know what I did? I went and I, I extravagantly spent money on dinner that we just don't do because he's got two boys at home. He's the only one who works. As a, he's a pastor. As his income is the only one. He said, I don't do that foolishly. I don't go buy things I can't afford. But when the enemy tells me you're not going to have enough, I go, watch this. You know what he did? He did good. He did good to his wife. He did good to himself because what he said, my trust is not in that paycheck. Because... Where your treasure is, there's your heart also. So when we can get to that place when we go, man, if we're believing God for area in our finance, I think, and we're going to talk about this coming up, the tithe is very important, not because we're under law, but because it's trust. It's saying, Jesus, I trust you first. I give this to you first. I trust you first. But also, it breaks that spirit of mammon off of you that says that this money is my source, that this job is my source, this certain income that comes in every time. You want to punch the devil in the nose? Give when you don't feel like you should. I, and, and let me just be it clear. I'm not talking about just here to the church. I'm talking about if, if, God tell, if the enemy's telling you you're not going to have enough, give somebody some money. Because you know what? Then your trust is in the Lord and you'll do good. Because you're going, my trust is not in what I hold in my hand. And that's why Jesus said, you can't love God and mammon or money. You can't love them both. You'll love the one and serve the other, or love the one and hate the other. And when we can get to the as we get, not when, because when sounds like it might not happen, as we get to that place where we go, Jesus, you're my source. I'm going to love because you love me. And I'm going to stir myself up in the love of God. And stirring ourselves up in the love of God means this. God, you're faithful. <clears throat> you're faithful. You've promised to supply all my need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My trust is in you. Now, he said here, I want to read through this again, then I'm going to go somewhere real quickly. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed or cultivate his faithfulness. So what are we to cultivate? His faithfulness. So what, we, what do we cultivate? We cultivate the goodness of God 
and his faithfulness. You can look, if you don't have a testimony yet on how he's been faithful to you in the area of finances, you go back and look how through the scriptures throughout time, how he was faithful to provide for his children. You look at the children of Israel, when he bought them out of slavery, they were in slavery. How long? Yes, thank you, you smart ones. 400 years, they were saying, and they went out, what? They weren't sick, they weren't feeble, and they were laden with silver and gold. From slaves to rich. But you know what was sad? He got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. So they still had a poverty mindset. How do you know they had a poverty mindset? Because they were laden with silver and gold, had money out their ears, and they got to the Red Sea, and they immediately forgot the God who just delivered them and, to, and not just got them out, but they, listen to me. They were slaves. It doesn't mean they had a hard job that they didn't like. They were slaves. They had been beaten, treated unjustly. As God was getting ready to deliver them and the plague started happening, they made it harder and harder on them. They wouldn't give them the materials they need and told them, you still got to produce as much. And when they didn't, they beat them. You understand, you might have a hard boss, but he doesn't beat you when you don't meet your quota. If he does, we've got a problem. He doesn't physically beat you when you don't meet your quota, but that's what they, so you understand when I say they were slaves, we, we, I think we miss it sometimes because we glamorize it. We don't understand what was really going on. This is a real world, real people beaten when they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they had been living that way for 400 years. How many of you know hope wasn't on the high, high up on their list? Because you know what they had? They had to add the stories that had been passed down from years and years and years. They still had the story of God's redemption. They still had the promise that he was going to bring them out. But when they came out, they still had a mindset that says, we don't have enough. And you know, to be honest, it doesn't matter how much silver and gold you have if you're getting ready to be killed. But what it shows me is their trust wasn't really in him. <clears throat> because they didn't. And then, then he said, I'm going to take you through the Red Sea. After I take you through the Red Sea, I'm going to take you to a, lion, this, a land that's inhabited by giants. <laughs> These are people who've just been beaten for 400 years. And now he says, you're going to go. I give it, I've given you all this money and uh, all this uh, livestock and everything. They didn't just walk out carrying gold and stuff. They had animals that went with them. They were slaves. They owned nothing. Are you with me? Is he worthy to be trusted? Can we see his faithfulness throughout Scripture? He said, trust in the Lord and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I've noticed in my life, and we'll come down here, get off my box. That when you walk through stuff and you allow your eyes to get off of him, it's easy, one, to get discouraged, and it's two, it's easy to give up your desires. I was talking with Stephen this morning, and it just really stirred me. And he said that uh, he and Mel went out, was it last night? Last night, they were supposed to have a date night, but Judah wasn't having it. He was entertaining everybody in the restaurant and felt that he needed to be entertained. But what Stephen said that just shook me to my core is he said, we, we got to talk and just talk about what we're passionate about. 
he and his wife, what they're passionate about. And the Lord stirred me and he said, Todd, if you're not careful, you'll allow your passion to die. To where what you get in is the mode of we just got to get through. We just got to make it. Instead of, God, what am I passionate about? What have you called me to do? And where is my attention? It's so easy. And I found myself there that I'm just got to get it done. We got to do it. We got to minister. We got to take care of people, all this. And he said, what are you passionate about? After Stephen said that, I walked off. I don't know if you noticed, I left you and Karen talking. I walked off and I went in the office and just shut the door and I said, Jesus, it's so easy to lose sight of passion. He said here in Psalms 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires, the passions of your heart. Hope in God and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Is Hebrews 13, 8 still in the Bible? that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that still him? Yes, it is. So he's still faithful to do what he said he would do. And I'm telling you, it's time that we <clears throat> set our eyes on him. Don't allow distractions. You know, if there's anything to get us distracted, this time that we're in is one. This presidential election, the race that we're in and all of that, you just look at it. You can be distracted. You can watch what's going on in the news and you go, what the world? What are we going to do? Is America going to hell in a handbasket? What's going on? And you know what? Even if it does, there was still light in Goshen when it was darkness in Egypt. He's still on the throne. No matter who gets president, he's still on the throne. Does he will it? No, he'll do what we choose. Yeah, swallow that. I know that's hard. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. There's none greater than him. There's none who can take anything from him or make him do anything. He's sovereign in who he is. But is he sovereignly controlling America? No. He gave that over to us. And whoever America chooses, God can still work with. And even if they reject God and turn America away from God, it may cause a nation to go downhill. But I'm not tied to this nation. I am a child of the living God. I'm an heir and joint heir with Christ Jesus the Lord. And I'm seated in heavenly places. But if my peace is what happens in this election, it, the devil's already stole it. And here's the thing you need to realize. Everybody running is a sinner. <laughs> And I've said before, you're not voting for a pastor. You're voting for a president. But what you do need to vote is the, is the beliefs of the word of God. If they're saying that homosexuality is okay, that's a sin and an abomination to God. If they're saying that killing unborn babies is okay, that's a sin and an abomination to God. And there's a, there's a candidate who's not named Trump that says, when I'm elected president, I'm going to appoint Supreme Court justices who now, because they've twisted uh, America, they set the law in America instead of uphold it. Said, I will appoint four that are liberal, that will be for same-sex marriage, that will be for abortion. 
stated on the record, that's what's been said. And if that happens, he's still God. I pray it doesn't, but he's still God. My hope is not in either candidate. My hope is in Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm not going to vote. I'm going to vote. And you should too. It's, your, it's not just your right, it's your duty to vote for righteousness. Not a righteous person, but for righteousness. But if my hope is caught up in that, my trust is in that, we can lose hope. But that's not where it is. My trust is in the Lord. I will delight in him. And he, he's the one who said he would give me the desires of my heart. Not a president, not how good their economy's going, but Jesus. Because he's a good father. He's a loving father. He's the one who said, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, we have to partner with him to see that happen. And we do that through knowing and believing the love that he has for us. That's how in this situation, in the circumstance that we're in in our country, and we can, again, the distraction I think the enemy wants us to be is so distracted on us that we can't see anything that's going on around us. And so worried about us that we can't love the way he's called us to love. God is love, and he's in me. And as I abide in love, I abide in him. Say lie that. If there's anything you need to take home today, that's it. That God is love, and that if I abide in love, God abides in me and I in him. In what? In love. And love never fails. Love, perfect love, God's love toward us that we're supposed to meditate. In this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. There's always victory. So I want you to understand, no matter what thing you're facing, if you'll turn from that thing to him, there's victory.